to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. I am so happy that you guys are going to finally hear this amazing interview I recorded with Talia Delju. She is absolutely phenomenal. If you are not familiar with Talia, she is a positive psychology coach who specializes in helping women develop the skills and mindset they need to elevate their quality of life. And she is all about helping her clients build the courage to stop playing small, to start showing up more fully in their work and their life. And she is all about self-discovery, inner work, diving deep into purpose, meaning, vulnerability, happiness. And we had such an incredible conversation. She is an international speaker. She has shared her insights on how to create and manifest a meaningful life alongside the likes of Deepak Chopra, Jen Sincero, and Adam Grant. She also co-founded Mavenly & Co., which is a career and business platform for women, That has reached over 200,000 women through the Women Work and Worth podcast, their annual conference, and coaching programs. In addition to coaching clients now, she also hosts an amazing podcast called Sincerely Me that you will definitely want to check out. If you enjoy my podcast, you will love Talia's. She is all about doing that deep inner work. And that's what we chat about in today's episode. We talk about owning your purpose, stepping into your confidence, engaging with life's situations in a meaningful, productive way, getting rid of those self-limiting beliefs and stories we make up in our heads, and so much more. Talia is so sweet and compassionate and has so many incredible insights into self development and how to do this deep inner work. And I'm just so honored to hear him on the podcast. And I know you guys are going to really benefit from the information she shares. No matter who you are, I can assure you this episode will have a lot of value for you in terms of just stepping into your own power and believing in yourself and getting rid of all of those limiting beliefs. But before we hop into this chat, I want to tell you about today's podcast sponsor, Beekeepers Naturals. This company has totally changed my life. If you haven't already listened to my episode with the founder, Carly Stein, go ahead and hop on over to episode 206 because you will learn so, so much. Beekeepers Naturals makes a number of bee products that are meant to help solve different health issues naturally. And these products are powerful and highly effective and have become a non-negotiable part of my everyday life. The first product I use every single day is the Propolis Throat Spray. This is nature's antibiotic. It is amazing for supporting your immunity, whether that be for prevention or actually soothing any sore throats, coughs, any illness. 
I need this stuff. It's also amazing for gut health, fighting against free radical damage, and so much more. If you travel a lot like me, you definitely need to have this in your carry-on. And if you work with kids, if you are in any kind of environment where your immune system really needs extra support, make sure you take this Propolis throat spray. I also take their bee-powered superfood complex every single day. This contains all the superfoods of the hive. It has their Propolis, their royal jelly, which is great for the brain and your skin, bee pollen, which is super energizing, and of course, their signature raw enzymatic honey. I just take a teaspoon every single day and it helps me feel energized, gives my brain a boost, and I definitely notice a difference when I don't take this. If you're looking into boosting your brain power further, check out their Beelixir Brain Fuel. This is a natural nootropic that has compounds like royal jelly and ginkgo to help enhance your memory, your performance, your cognition, and it's totally caffeine-free, great for fighting any brain fog. So if you really want to enhance your focus and concentration without the jitters of caffeine, you will want to try this out. And lastly, one of my favorites for the evening is their Bee Chill Hemp Honey. This is their honey mixed with high-potency hemp oil that chills you out before bed. And this is a great hack for sleeping. Taking a teaspoon of honey before going to bed can help you sleep through the night if you struggle with waking up in the middle of the night. Sometimes it just takes a little honey to replenish your glycogen stores so your body's not searching for fuel in the middle of the night. And the honey combined with the hemp oil definitely helps chill me out in the evening and it tastes delicious and it comes in single serve sticks so it's really helpful for travel as well if you want to try out these products and check out all of their other superfood honey products including of course their honey then just go ahead and hop on over to beekeepersnaturals.com crw and my code crw will get you 15 percent off again that's beekeepersnaturals.com B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S dot com slash C-R-W and my code C-R-W will get you 15% off. Now that you know how to boost your immune system, your brain, enhance your skin, all the things with bee products, let's go ahead and hop into this chat with Talia Delju. Hello, Talia. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I've been so excited to chat with you. I love all the content you put out there, but for people who might not be familiar with you, can you just share a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Talia Delju, and I have been in the coaching world for about seven years now. My journey began back in college as a leadership consultant for a sorority, actually, where I was traveling to about 30 universities in a year and working with women um, who were kind of about to enter that next stage of life who had a million questions about what was next and how they wanted to show up in the world and what they wanted to do and who they wanted to be. And that led me down a path of exploring and studying positive psychology. So I went back and got my master's in positive psychology, which is the science and study of what makes life worth living, um, which is kind of a big idea, but a lot around, you know, how do we optimize our experiences? How do we tap into our strengths? How do we enhance our quality of life? And so a lot of that informs my coaching practice today, which is a lot more focused these days on helping people experience shifts in the way they show up. And again, that's kind of a big idea, but what that really looks like is 
helping women step out of what I call ideas of smallness. So what are all the ways that you're holding yourself back, that you're playing small in your life, that you're living in fear, that you're kind of tapping into these patterns that are um, just no longer serving you? And how do you shift into ways of showing up that are more true, that are more aligned, that are more empowered in terms of the choices you're making for yourself? And in my mind, I call this expansion work. So how do you kind of step into a bigger, fuller version of yourself? And so, yeah, so that's a lot of what I do today. And I can, I'm sure at some point in the conversation, share more about how I do that. But um, I'm working a lot in my own life on really owning the fact that I am a coach and I support women in their own transformation and, and self-expansion. And that's what I'm here to do at this lifetime. Yes. Well, that was interesting when you just said that you're working on owning that you that you are a coach. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Yes. Um, I mean, I think it's it's kind of cliche to say, but I think it's something that we that we all experience in life in some way is fear of stepping into our purpose and fear of stepping into our greatness, even though all of us say we want to know what our purpose is and what we're here to do. I think as much as the uncertainty around that feels bad, the knowing can also be really scary because, um, I don't know. I think for me, owning it really means committing to a path and really living out my life in a way that shares with people what it's like to live fully. And it kind of, it, it puts a little bit of pressure, which I think at the end of the day is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I think it's just fear of your own power, fear of your own strength, fear of really seeing what you're capable of, fear of, you know, what does that mean for the way I've lived my life up until now? Um, yeah. So ownership, I think has been such a central theme on my own journey and in the journey of those that I coach. And a lot of that I think is tied to, at least for me is tied to judgment, right? Like what are people going to think? How will that be perceived? Um, you know, who am I to call myself a coach or a healer or someone who can guide women through transformation? Like it, like it's almost, it's that not imposter syndrome because I do know that I'm qualified and I have the skill set, I have the experience, I have the years, I have the stories to kind of show for what I do, but there's still this hesitation in fully stepping into the power that comes with ownership. Yeah, that makes total sense. So with a lot of the women you coach, do you find that the work you're doing is mainly around their work and business or just think parts of their lives in general? Yeah. So it's an interesting question because for about seven years, I kind of put myself into a box as a coach and I called myself a career and business coach. Um, so everyone who came to me came with, you know, what's next in my career or what's next in my business or how do I start a business? So these very kind of surface level, external, tactical, goal driven questions, right? And where I'm at now in my path and in my profession as a coach is recognizing that most people come with the career or business questions. Most people are also trying to solve the wrong problem. Mm. We look to the external when we feel stress, we feel anxiety, we feel anything we don't want to feel. Our minds are quick to jump to what's wrong on the outside. Is it my job? Is it the money? Is it the relationship? Is it like, what is it outside of me that needs attention and the, and that needs 
fixing. Um, but I have seen through the patterns, the themes, and and what's emerged through my coaching practice is that, sure, we can sit here all day and talk about what's next, about the next job, about what to do in your business, about strategy. But the things that need attention, if we're not looking internally, if we're not looking at your inner world, your inner dialogue, the quality of your life, the quality of your being, the state of your being, we're fixing a problem that's only really going to be kind of, it's, it's like a bandaid, mm-hmm. um, you know, recovering the symptom. If work doesn't feel good, we can talk about making work feel better, but there's something deeper that's calling for your attention. And we're really good at distracting ourselves and staying busy and setting goals to keep moving forward <laughs> and, and kind of, again, distract us from looking at what's really going on. Is it that you don't feel worthy? Is it that you don't feel like you deserve what you want? We need to talk about those things. And that's where I want to spend time with my clients. I'm in a bit of a transition state now where, you know, when people come to me very adamant on, you know, I'm looking for a new job. I'm good at helping you do that. I, you know, I do enjoy that work, but I want to go so much deeper with people because, there's something that's calling at them to do some deeper inner work. And until you're willing and and ready to go there, I think again, like it's only going to continue poking at you until you give it attention. So I'm really, I'm really there to, to work with and partner with women who are ready to look at the things that really need to come out of the shadow and need attention and need to be looked at. Um, so yeah, so it's definitely a shift, um, because people tend to think it is work-related, business-related, career-related, and it might be, but there's there's always one level deeper that we can go. And for most people, they realize like it's not at all about the external as much as they think it might be. Yeah, 100%. Oh, I'm curious, you know, if someone comes to you and they're saying, you know, I need, I don't know, a new job, and you know that, you know, there's something deeper that you need to get into, how do you get someone to realize that, accept it, and then, like, give in to doing the deeper work? Because I feel like a lot of people have that resistance. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, the reality is that for some people, they're in a stage of life where that is what they need. They just need to get into that next job. And there are plenty of people and coaches out there who can do that for you. So if that's really what you feel like you need at this time, I will tell you where to go and I'll refer you to the right person and and you'll be well on your way and that's totally fine. Um, But for the people who come thinking that that's the problem, but for me knowing that there might be somewhere else to go with it, the readiness I have to be able to assess how ready someone is and how willing they are to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, the first question I ask to really get a sense of, you know, what's actually going to fill the need for this person is to ask them what's getting in your way right now. What are the three biggest obstacles that are getting in your way of taking action, of showing up in the way you want to show up? What is keeping you in that space of smallness and shrinking and hiding and distraction? And, and most people are pretty aware, like they'll, they're pretty quick to say, you know, it's fear, it's a lack of confidence and it's uncertainty. Um, so that's where we start in the process. And again, if they're not willing or ready to go there, that's totally fine. You know, it's important to respect people's timing and, and where they're at in the process. But I think for most people, when they come to me, they've, you know, listened to my podcast, they've consumed some of my content on social, they read my website, they have an idea of 
where I'm going to take them. So there's already a readiness and willingness to some extent, um, when we're on that first, you know, discovery call, but, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not for everyone. There are definitely points in my life where I just need a solution and I go to a certain coach for that thing. There are certain things I go to a therapist for. There are certain things I go to an energy healer for. And, um, I think it's just that willingness to be open to whatever it is that actually needs attention and finding someone who can hold space for you to feel safe enough to let those things come to the surface. 100%. I feel like this conversation is so timely for me on a personal level because Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on right now like in my personal life, but I have four or five very close friends who it's kind of the same conversation over and over again where they're not happy with their jobs because they're not happy with it's, you know, kind of related to a deeper self-confidence, lack of purpose issue. And they're all blaming it on their boyfriends and all to decide (laughs) they're all like focused on, I think I should break up with my boyfriend. Like I'm just not happy. Like he's too safe. It's too comfortable. And I'm like, as an outsider, I can clearly see it's because you're trying to avoid like this other issue yeah. Um, do you find that I'm like, I don't know what's in the air. I'm like, why is everyone trying to break up with their boyfriend to solve their problems right now? <laughs> like, do you ever come across that? <laughs> That's funny. Um, I, I do in different ways. I mean, I think again, to my earlier point, like we tend to look and point at things outside of ourselves and say, That's the problem. You're the problem. It has nothing to do with me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And there are actually kind of four different ways, and I might share this framework because I feel like it might be helpful and relevant to what you just brought up. But Mm -hmm. there are basically four different ways that we can choose to, you know, engage with situations as they come up for us in life. So, you know, to your point, your friends are not happy with their jobs. They're not happy in life. Something's going on. The first level of engagement when you are in that state of feeling like something's not right, stressed, anxiety, whatever it might be, the first place our minds go is whose fault is this? Who can I blame? Why is this happening to me? Right? So it's his fault. It's my relationship. It's this thing. It's that thing. We're pointing outward Mm -hmm. and trying to make sense of why we might be feeling the way we're feeling. So that level is basically the stage we call it drama. So when you come at life from a drama perspective, and many of us do, it's again, why is this happening to me? Who can I blame? Whose fault is this? Um, And there's a lot of resistance to the reality, right? We're resisting the fact that we're feeling a certain way and we want to feel better and we think that something outside of us will make us feel better. The second stage after drama is situation. And it sounds like this is a your friends maybe have a foot in drama and a foot in situation where when you're coming from the situation perspective, the questions you're asking are, what's the problem? Job. How can I fix it? New job. Or what's the problem? Um, you know, anxiety. How can I fix it? Break up with my boyfriend. So we're going straight from pinpointing the problem, getting to a solution and moving past it quickly. We want quick fixes. We want the band-aids. We want to be able to say, we got through it. We got over it onto the next thing. Nothing wrong with either of those stages. It's just important to observe at what stage is like, where is your tendency? Where do you tend to reside when you're engaging with difficult situations in life? So we have drama stage number one, stage number two situation where you're looking for the solution quickly. Now, stage three and stage four are where when we talk about transformation, expansion and really kind of healing tendencies and stepping into a more truer version of yourself When you start to step into stage three, what you're really starting to affirm for yourself is that you have the power to choose and to choose differently. 
So at stage three, you're asking yourself, not why is this happening to me? Who can I blame? Whose fault is this? Not what's the problem and the solution, but instead, who do I choose to be in this situation? Do I choose to be someone who's reactive? Do I choose to be someone who's going to kind of take some ownership and turn inward and reflect? So in that moment, you decide that in this opportunity comes the power to choose and to choose how I'm going to show up, to choose who I'm going to be in order to get to a different outcome, in order to not stay in the situation that I'm in. And then the last one is kind of the highest level of, of perspective or, um, or responsiveness when you're in a situation like that. It's, it's to ask yourself, what is trying to show itself to me? What is trying to emerge for me? What, and, and maybe some people might go to like, okay, what's the lesson here? But I think it's a little bit deeper than that. This is, you know, if I stopped resisting, what is it within me? What truth wants to come to the surface? What is actually going on here? And how will I take, how will I leverage this opportunity to really step into the next version of myself? So drama is level one, situation level two, choice level three, and opportunity level four. And again, most of us, it's rare that any one person resides in level four all the time, right? There will be situations where you're pulled back into the drama and that's okay. Or you're looking for a solution to fix the problem quickly and that's okay too. But to recognize those tendencies is 90% of the work. And then to ask yourself in those moments of feeling called to do something different. And so, you know, what's trying to happen for me here? What needs attention that I'm continuing to distract myself from? And how can I move into it with a little less fear and a little bit more trust so that I'm not finding myself back in a job I hate, back in a relationship that's toxic, back in a situation that I know is not fully aligned with who I am and, and who I'm becoming? I love that. I feel like it's like a systematic approach to gratitude, yeah. And like, and like something you can look at to make sure you don't feel stuck. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, because if you reach level one, level two, level three, like up to opportunity, when you realize opportunity, that's like, you are moving forward from that. Mm -hmm. so Absolutely. Like any situation where you feel stuck, you can turn it into something where you feel like you're progressing and moving forward. Mm hmm. Yeah. So is that how you use that with clients? Like more of just like the awareness and then like figuring out the opportunity? Yeah. I mean, this isn't something that I, I, I use this a lot kind of mentally in my own mind where I try to pinpoint, you know, where is this client coming from? How can I help her move from one stage into the next? Um, what I do a lot with my clients is, um, kind of questioning the truth of their story. So a lot of us are very quick to make up stories. Um, again, I'm not happy in my job. It's because of my relationship. I'm not happy in my life. It's because of my job, whatever that story might be. What I try to help people do in coaching is identify the story. What's happening right now on a very factual objective level. And what is the story you're attaching to it? What is the judgment you're placing on it? What is the thought that your mind has come up with about what's happening that's leading you to feel the way you're feeling, right? So one example is someone might come to me and say, here's the situation. Um, or, or they might come to me and say, okay, you know, my boss hates me. I don't want to be in this job anymore. I'm not valued by anybody at my company. I need to find a new job. Okay. So what we do from that point 
is go to the facts of the situation because your mind has made up the story that you are disliked, that you are undervalued, that no one likes you, X, Y, Z, the thought patterns continue to spiral downward and it's all about you and you're the victim of the story and you're in the drama and you're blaming everybody (laughs) and you want to get out quickly, right? So what I ask people to do is give me the facts. If somebody were watching and like an outsider was watching a typical day at work, what would they see happening? And what she would might say is, okay, well, the facts are that, um, you know, I didn't get the promotion that I thought I was going to get. Okay. So that's the fact. Number one, no promotion. Okay. So you not getting the promotion has somehow turned into the story that no one likes you, that you're undervalued, that you shouldn't be at your job and that it's time for something new. Now, the story you've created is not based on any facts at all. You've just decided to create a story. You've decided to take what happened in terms of you not getting the promotion and you've turned it into something that means a lot about you where it could mean absolutely nothing about you, right? Mm -hmm. So we're turning to the facts and we're questioning the truth of your story. Is it actually factually, objectively true that no one likes you, that you're undervalued and that you shouldn't be in your job? Could you prove that in front of a judge in court? Most likely not, even though your mind is completely convinced that you're right. It's not actually based on any objective truth. So that's the first process I take people through is questioning the truth, understanding the story that you've made up about something that's happened, that's objective, that's neutral, that's completely out of your control. And then what I ask them to do is find evidence. This might be a little bit, um, I might need to break this down a little bit more, but find evidence for why your story is completely false. So if you're sitting here telling yourself, I'm not valued, no one likes me, I shouldn't be in this job, your mind, your ego, your fear-based mind looks for proof constantly that you're right. Somebody will walk by you and not say hi and your mind will go, see, told you no one likes you. Um, Somebody else will, you know, call a team meeting and you're not on the invite because, you know, there could be a million reasons for it. But your mind, again, goes to, that means something about me. That means that they don't like me. That means I'm not valued. That means I shouldn't be here. So what you're doing instead in a moment of coaching is actually looking at the opposite story. You are valued. You are liked. You should be in this job. There are a million and one reasons that that's also true, but you've just not given your headspace any time or, or created any possibility to consider an alternative story. So we're looking at the alternative story. We're looking at why your your mind might be wrong and considering what could be true instead and looking for evidence to kind of at least balance the scales a little bit more in your favor. And that's where a lot of that's where a lot of the coaching work happens is in the story you tell and the thoughts your mind is making up and recognizing that you at the end of the day have zero control over circumstances but you can decide what it means about you and how to how to engage with the situation at hand. If you don't like the results you're seeing, look at how you're feeling about the situation and look at what thoughts and stories are leading to those emotions. That is where you have complete power and control over your life experience. Do you feel like women assign these stories more often than men? Um, that's a great question. I... I don't know. I can't confidently answer that question. I do work primarily with women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have worked with men before and there are so many, um, 
there are a lot of similarities, but there are also a lot of differences. But I don't think men are any less able to make up stories. I just think that they look a lot more at the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I, 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 that's not based in any. I'm sure there's science around this. I am not speaking to the science of it right now, but I do know that women are a lot more likely from, from my experience, the women have been a lot more likely to jump to, well, this is what it means about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and inherently, and this, this actually is from a science-based perspective, like women, we are a lot more relational in nature, biologically. Um, we define ourselves in relation to other people. So we are a lot in that sense. Now I'm like thinking out loud, but this does make sense. Is that mm-hmm. like, we are a lot more likely to define who we are to, kind of take inventory of our situation to, to, um, assess safety in relation to other people and, and what's happening around us. Whereas men are not, are not, are not that are not prone to that same tendency of defining themselves by their situation, by the relational dynamics around them. Um, so I do think that, yes, we, we are a little bit more heightened and a little bit more aware of those dynamics around us. And, we're constantly assessing, well, what does this mean about me? What does this mean about my sense of worth? What does this mean about how liked I am? Um, a lot of this shows up in the negotiation work that I do. It's important to recognize in those types of situations too. Like you can use that to your advantage. The fact that you are more relational and that women tend to have these, um, yeah, more relational tendencies. It's not a bad thing, but it's important to be aware of it and then figure out how to leverage it and use it to your advantage versus letting it kind of get the best of you and run your mind and, and kind of keep you in that state of fear and questioning constantly. How would you use that to your advantage? Yeah. So I'll, I'll put it in the context of negotiation just because it's a little bit more uh, tangible. But when when you're coming into a negotiation conversation, the mindset tends to be that I want something that they don't want to give me, right? So it's a very me versus them. Uh, we're working against each other and you know, my success becomes their failure. They, their success becomes my failure. And it's very combative. It's very, um, there's, there's tension, right? Cause we don't want the same thing. Mm-hmm. But when you can come at negotiation from a relational perspective, what you can start to open your mind up to is the possibility that or not possibility, but the reality that both of us want to walk away with more value. They want to walk away from this conversation feeling like they're getting a lot of value from me. And I want to walk away from this conversation feeling valued financially. So at the end of the day, when we're coming at it from, again, this relational lens, the kind of mindset you have to have walking into these situations or that I would encourage people to have is that at the end of the day, both of you want to walk away with something more. So there's already an element here of we're in this together. We want the same outcome. We're not working against each other here. It doesn't have to be this like adversarial confrontation. The next thing in a a more, I guess, tangible way is to think about the language you start using, right? It's not so much, I want this, what do you guys have to give me? But it's how can we work towards an outcome or a solution? What would be the best, what would be in in our best interest? So you're using language that kind of signals at this collective oneness, wholeness. We are in this together. Um, You know, I, I will do my best work for us when, so you're, 
you're kind of alluding to the fact that the relationship is important, that you both want the same thing. So using words like we and us and our really helps you take that relational approach and use it to your advantage because they like to see that they want to feel like you're on their team. It doesn't, it doesn't have to feel like it's one team against the other. Um, so there's just some kind of quick ways that are a little top of mind for me to share, but, um, a lot of it is really just how you prime yourself mentally walking into those conversations and how you can see the relationship as something that's going to support the conversation, um, from, from both coming at the same, wanting the same outcome, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think it, like you're saying how you prime yourself going into that, it changes the whole dynamic because your energetics are completely different. You know, totally. people pick up on that. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like that's such an easy, well, I don't want to say easy, but it's such a simple reframe right? Yeah. That like anyone, you can apply that to so many different aspects of your life. And I think that's where a lot of tension in different situations comes from. It's, it is that, um, like what you're talking about before, like we come at it like, okay, this is what I want, what I need. And I feel like they're out for themselves and I'm out for myself. But like, if we just mm-hmm. start approaching a lot of situations from this, you know, team perspective and like what's going to yeah. benefit all of us, it just completely changes every dynamic and the energy totally. behind it. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I mean, I love that you bring in that energy perspective. And I think back to the context of negotiation, when you feel more valued, you do better work. Like you're going to show up better for the person sitting across from you when you're getting paid fairly and when you feel valued. So you're actually doing them a favor by asking for more money. And for most people, I think it, it just feels selfish. They feel like they're being you know, too assertive or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, how can you think of it as an advantage to both sides? And how can you recognize that there is a bigger consequence to not asking for it that's actually going to hurt everybody in the long term? Yes. So much amazing information from Talia. And we are going to continue this conversation after I take a brief break to tell you about today's podcast sponsor, Four Sigmatic. If you're not familiar with Four Sigmatic, they are on a mission to popularizing mushroom consumption because most people don't realize that an entire kingdom of mushrooms exists out there with so many amazing health benefits for immunity, energy, and longevity that have been studied for centuries. And Four Sigmatic makes drinking mushrooms and superfoods delicious and easy to do with their mushroom coffees, mushroom superfood blends, and mushroom elixirs. They come in single serve packets and tins for at-home use. And all you have to do is mix them with some hot water. You can also mix them with some nut milk if you want something a little richer or blend them into smoothies or shakes. Four Sigmatic's mushroom elixirs are all tested for pesticides, heavy metals, irradiation, mycotoxins, and other factors. And they are made only with the highest quality ingredients. They only use wild-crafted or law-grown and certified organic mushrooms. Four Sigmatic has a mushroom for whatever your health and wellness goal is. Everything from lion's mane for brain performance, supporting your memory and concentration, or cordyceps, which is a natural performance enhancer. It helps give you steady energy levels without any caffeine. Or their chaga, which is amazing for immunity. It is filled with antioxidants, and chaga is known as the king of the mushrooms for a reason. 
especially at this time of year, I always double up on my chaga intake because it is so amazing for the immune system. And of course, one of my faves, reishi, which helps so much with winding down in the evening. It's amazing for reducing stress, supporting sleep. I like to take this a couple hours before bed and it just really puts me in a very relaxed state. Recently though, if you've been following me on Instagram, you might have heard that I am drinking more caffeine. I've been having caffeine for almost every day, about five out of seven days of the week in the morning, and I'm feeling great, but the caffeine I go for is Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee mix or their coffee latte or their matcha latte or their matcha with lion's mane and ginger. Those have been my caffeine choices that I have been obsessed with. All you have to do is add hot water and you're good to go. And I love that all of them are mixed with the mushrooms to help give you extra brain boosting benefits. Like their coffee is mixed with cordyceps and chaga or lion's mane and chaga. And I really love their coffee because there are only 50 milligrams of caffeine per serving. So you get a sense of balanced stimulation. I don't get any jitters and I honestly feel amazing. And you have to be so careful when it comes to coffee because coffee is often high for mold, but I love that Four Sigmatic checks for all mycotoxins. So if you want to try out any of my favorite products or some that I didn't even mention but I loved, their chocolate is amazing, their golden latte mix is fabulous, they have their hot cacao mix, so many options, just go to foursigmatic.com CRW and my code CRW will get you 15% off. Again, that's foursigmatic.com, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash CRW and that code CRW will get you 15% off. Now I'm going to get back to my cup of lion's mane that I have sitting next to me and I'll let you get back to this chat with Talia. Why do you think so many women have this story in their heads that, you know, they can't make as much money or they're not worth as much money? Um, Because there's proof, right? You look around you, you look at all the men making more money and it validates the story. Mm. Um, All the data points prove that your mind is right. Women make less money. And you'll find a bunch of men who make more money than you. (laughs) But if you flip the story and say, no, women make just as much, or maybe women make more money. There are women who make more money than men as counterparts. There are women who make just as much as their male counterparts. But you're going to look for evidence. You're going to look for the people who prove your story right. And that's the danger of stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and and there's also an element of, I think, um, there is an element of, and this isn't something I've particularly articulated or talked about before, but I think a lot of people inherit inherit beliefs and feelings and stories about money from the other people in their lives, from their moms specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that money talk, the money mindset stuff, the fears, the assumptions, the doubts, the insecurities – they're not actually our own. They don't belong to us. We've just kind of taken them on. And so such an important part of the work when it comes to money, money mindset, asking for what you're worth is to really start kind of challenging the thoughts and the stories that your mind is creating and really asking yourself, where does this come from? Is this based in any truth? What if the opposite were true instead? How can I look for evidence that the opposite is true instead? Um, and who, who does the story actually belong to, right? Like I've had many beliefs in my own life around money that, you know, 
unless, unless I'm, um, like there's a story around who money belongs to. And, and unless I make my own money, then I'm not free or I'm not independent unless I'm making my own money. Mm-hmm. And some people might think that's true, but I, I, you know, that is a story. That's a belief that is worth questioning sometimes. And it's 100% a belief that I picked up from my mom. And, and the danger there is that in my mind now, freedom will only be felt and experienced when I'm not dependent on anybody else financially, which again, may or may not be the case, but does it have to be the case? Why does it have to be the case? Is this my truth? Is this her experience? And is that what I want to tie my idea of freedom to? Maybe, maybe not. Um, for me, it's not. I've come to that point of realizing like I can create my own reality, my own relationship to money. Money doesn't have to be hard. I don't have to make any more or less than anybody else. I, I get to decide what that looks like. Um, but it's not until we see people living in the way we want to be living or making money in the way we want to be making money that we can start to actually believe it's possible and then take a step towards it. Um, so back to, you know, my earlier point when, when you are in a certain job or you're kind of living in the story that, well, you know, women make so much less than men look for the woman, find the woman who's not making less (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it'll show you that it's possible. And it'll show you that, um, your story might not be based in facts the way you might thought the way you might have thought it was. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting talking about, you know, finding evidence for these beliefs, um, you know, like countering our, our stories and like finding evidence for the opposite. But on one level, it's evidence, but also I feel like subconsciously like looking for permission too, like that it's okay. Absolutely. You know, and I think it's just an interesting part of human psychology, how much we do look for permission outside of ourselves mm-hmm. to change the story or live a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I don't know which episode it was on my podcast. I think it was one about um, finding your purpose maybe. But anyways, we kind of came to this point where we realized it's, yes, it's permission in it on a very like foundational level. It's simply permission to let yourself want more than what you have. And I think there's a lot of guilt that we tie to it. Oh, but like I should be grateful for what I have and I don't want it to seem like I'm not grateful. And, you know, I don't want it to seem like by wanting more money or whatever it is that I'm materialistic. I'm, you know, so we, we get, we get very caught up in the, in the fear of judgment. What are going to people think about me if I want more, if I buy that nice you know, handbag that I, you know, what, what is it that they're going to start thinking of me? And what does it say about me if I commit to wanting more for myself in my life? Um, and again, like you get to decide what it says about you. It doesn't have to say anything about you, or it could say everything about you, but noticing, noticing the fears, noticing the judgments and recognizing this is just my mind creating stories. This is not my truth. This is not me. That separation between self and thought, I think is where so much of the freedom we're seeking really resides. A hundred percent. I mean, I feel like for me, realizing my own stories is such a release and, but also realizing other people's stories. You know, I Mm -hmm. think when you start to let go of your own and, you know, maybe a lot of these are from mom, dad, brother, sister, And then you can take a step back and, you know, again, it's like if you want to believe something else, this 
feeling of guilt around it. Like, oh, I'm changing my beliefs now. And everyone else where I came from, they feel something else. And then you start to feel guilty. But then when you can identify in other people that those are just stories for them, it releases that feeling of guilt. Totally. Yeah. So I want to circle back to something that you brought up at the beginning of our chat. And you were saying you ask your clients, you know, what are the three things holding you back right now mm-hmm. and I'm curious what some of the top answers or most common answers you get are yeah well fear comes up for everyone mm-hmm. um fear is definitely the most fear I of think what? um you know they don't they don't ever really articulate what the fear is I think it's just fear generally I mean if we dug into it I think it's fear of there's you know partly fear of success um, fear of failure, fear of judgment, fear of, um, like letting go of all the things I thought I knew, um, fear of being fully seen, fear of my own power. Um, but again, all of it at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's fear. So if we can work on your relationship to fear, then we're, we're golden. And and that's where a lot of the work starts, you know, it's, what does that relationship look like right now? How is fear getting in the way? What is fear stopping you from doing, thinking, saying, feeling? And what do you want that relationship to look like instead? So that's the biggest one that comes up. Um, and then the next biggest obstacle, I think, is just is really just the question of like, well, I, what am like, what am I good at? I don't know what I really want to do, um, which to me is just the obstacle that I hear or read when I see people ask that question is that they're not, um, that they're not paying attention. And that's something, I mean, that attention is something that a lot of us are like definitely, um, not, our attention is very limited in quantity and quality these days, whether it's because of social media, the urgency of things, how quickly we're able to get, like we're, mm-hmm. we don't learn how to pay attention to one thing at a time and to really focus our attention, which is why meditation and mindfulness is so, is just such a powerful practice because it really helps you train your mind to focus and pay attention in a higher quality way. But, mm-hmm. um, when people come to me with that question, that just tells me that they're not at all living in the present and not at all paying attention to the things that they really enjoy doing in life. Um, and again, I think that goes back to how many of us are trying to solve the wrong problem because when people come to me asking, I don't know what I'm good at doing, we all have a lot of skills. It's not a question of whether or not you're skilled, whether or not you can do well in XYZ job or XYZ business, but it's about what you do well that you also enjoy. So we're taking a little bit less of a look at your skills and looking more in the direction of your strengths. What comes naturally to you and and where can we start paying attention? How can we start connecting dots throughout your life experience up until now to inform the next step that you take? So that's the second obstacle that I see a lot. And then let's see, the third biggest obstacle... Um, I guess it's kind of tied to the first two, but like clarity and confidence are the words almost everybody uses. I'm lacking clarity. I'm lacking confidence in my path, in myself. Um, 
and probably mindset. Like most people know that their own minds and ego is getting in the way. And so they really want to work on elevating their mindset and learning how to think better, um, learning how to navigate the negative self-talk, learning how to, um, yeah, come from a different mental space because they recognize whatever mental state they're in is, is clearly not conducive to helping them move forward. Yeah. So how do you help people with the confidence side of things? Yeah. So, um, that can look so many different ways. I think a great place to start with folks who aren't feeling confident, who aren't sure of, you know, what they're good at or who don't believe that they're capable. I ask them to turn to, this is like a very practical exercise is to turn to three successes that you've had in your life. And if you want to think, you know, within the past six months, what are three things that you're proud of that you've accomplished, that you've achieved? Everyone can come up with three things. Now, the key is to think about what exactly you attribute the successes to. And by that, I mean, what do you believe was the cause of the success? What do you believe enabled you to to make that accomplishment, to have that achievement? Um, You know, for most people, a lot of women especially tend to attribute their successes to other people. Oh, it wasn't me. I got lucky. It was my team. Um, And then they'll, they'll... hesitate to take full ownership over their success and to say, actually, no, it was me. Like I was successful because of my ability to X, Y, Z, because of my strengths, because of, um, you know, whatever it is that makes them who they are, we're a lot quicker to jump to external attributes. Um, so what I have people do is start by writing down on paper, what you think led to your success. And then I'll have them write kind of a new version of it and only write down things that are internal and that are like connected to you and only you. We're not bringing luck into the picture. We're not bringing your team or other people into the picture. We're not saying things like, oh, well, you know, I achieved success because I'm a hard worker. No, it's not because you're a hard worker. (laughs) It's because there are things innately, inherently natural within you that contributed to you accomplishing, achieving, succeeding in the thing that you were tasked with. Um, So that's the biggest thing is turning that focus of attention from the external into the internal and recognizing that there are things about you that have already enabled successes up until this point. So how do we then leverage that into the future, into what's next, into the next thing you're tasked with to do, to accomplish, to achieve. Um, so that's kind of a simple tactical lesson in confidence is to take more ownership over the results you've seen in your work and in your life. Um, I think that's a great, a great practice, honestly. And I think that's so connected to how it's so hard for people to take compliments like yeah so many women like they they don't they don't know how to accept a compliment like you know Mm -hmm. someone tells you that you're great x y and z oh no you know i just and i'm like no just own it and i'm like why is it so hard for us to accept compliments (laughs) yeah and i mean that i think that answer is worth exploring for everyone listening and Mm -hmm. i think everyone's answer is very different and very unique to them um there there are roots there's a reason why 
it's hard for you to accept a compliment. I think on a surface level, it's a, it's a lot of like, oh, well, I don't want people to think that I'm, um, you know, full of myself or that I think too highly of myself or that I'm, you know, too confident or cocky or whatever it might be. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I completely agree. One of the, so I run this year long program in my business called the inner work circle. And one of our weekly lessons a couple weeks ago was, was to brag, <laughs> like brag yeah. about yourself, like take ownership, share success, celebrate what you've done. And, and here's a group of women to, to take that celebration and, and elevate you to even the, you know, to the next level and to not make you feel like you're being too full of yourself or too assertive or too whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I think on a surface level, we're just afraid of what people will think of us if we were to just accept it and say, thank you. Um, you know, because if I say thank you, it means that I agree. It's like, what is it the in Mean Girls where she's like, you? I don't know if she was like, you look really pretty. And she's like, oh, thank you. And she's like, oh, so you agree, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. like, how dare you think that you're great, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and yeah, I think we're just, we're conditioned to respond that way. We see other people responding that way. So we think that that's what's appropriate and that becomes the norm. So that's how we respond. And to respond any differently is dangerous to respond any differently gets me out of that safe comfort zone of being like everybody else. Um, but by responding differently, by saying thank you with humility, by owning it and accepting it and receiving it, you're also showing somebody else that there's another way to respond to a compliment, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're not doing it for yourself, do it for someone else to show them that it's also possible and become, become an example for them, become an expander for them to then step into that truth, you know, that, that truer part of themselves that also knows that they are great and that they are beautiful and that their shoes are rocking and that they did a great job because deep down we all have that inner knowing that whatever is being reflected back at us is true. There's just something getting in our way of, of owning it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, I always, <laughs> I'll say, well, what about the story behind like I think the deeper question is, if someone accepts a compliment, why are you jumping to they're full of themselves? Right. You know, like that that in itself, like the fact that you ascribe that um, that definition to someone who like says, oh, yeah, I'm good at this or like they accept that. Like, I think that's a deeper rooted issue. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's worth exploring, I think, for a lot of us let's say you, you know, you were to observe someone having a conversation and someone pays you a compliment and your, your immediate response or judgment on the other person who's receiving the compliment, right? So you're not the one receiving the compliment in this example, but you're watching somebody else be complimented and say, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Your judgment of them is only a reflection of your own self, right? Yes. So there's a lot of projection happening there. Um, which just tells you that you wish you could also respond in that way. You wish that you could take ownership in the way that that person did. So what is it in that moment that's trying to, sh that's trying to emerge from you? Mm -hmm. Is it, okay, this is a signal. My frustration, my jealousy, my envy, my whatever it is about this person is really just telling me that I also have the ability to respond in that way that I also have that same power and greatness and whatever it is that that person has, but I'm the, I'm getting in my own way and this 
situation is just showing me how much I'm getting in my own way. And I hate this person for showing that to me. And I, you know, and it becomes about them and you're the victim and they're the one to blame. And it's, you know, how dare they think that they're great. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's all, that's the story that you're thinking in your own mind, right? How dare me think that I'm great? When that's what's happening in your own mind and you see someone else living so counter to that story, it's like the earth underneath you starts to shake and, and like crack because it's, it's now being questioned and now being challenged and now being brought into question. So notice those moments. Notice your own judgments um, about other people and recognize that they're only judgments about yourself that you're putting on to others and that those are the greatest opportunities to, to shift into a different way of engaging, of being and of showing up. Yeah, totally. And I, I think it also speaks to like, if you have a scarcity or abundance mindset, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll like with compliments, for example, um, I know a lot of women, like, let's say one woman says to another one, Oh, you look so beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And, um, we, it's, it's, odd how we feel like there's not enough to go around like oh yes she didn't say that to me so like does she not think I'm pretty like you know what I mean it's like we we jump to this um and that's not it at all but it's like that's a scarcity mindset right like Mm -hmm. I think that people the way they receive compliments or even like give them just speaks to like if you really do believe in abundance or scarcity because there is more than enough to go around for everyone but we don't realize that we we like subconsciously think there's not Totally. And uh, this is like, this might take the conversation in a very separate direction, but I think, you know, a lot of the spiritual perspective and I'm, I'm, you know, doing a lot of work in my own personal life to kind of step more onto that path. But I think all of that stems from this belief that we're all separate. Right. And I think when you can tune into just that, like that, when you can tune into the alternative story, which is that we are not all separate beings and that in fact we are all one and that her beauty is my beauty and my beauty is her beauty. Her success is my success. We're all connected. Like if you can actually live that way and sit in that and feel the energy of that oneness and that connection to everything and everyone around you, all sense of competition, all sense of, um, you know, lack of, scarcity, all of that goes away because you start to see all these things around you as not belonging to any one person, but belonging to all of us. A hundred percent. Well, and not even just belonging, but just like affecting, like energetically affecting it, like vibrationally, right? right? If everyone around you, if all the people around you start making more money and like they're vibrating at higher frequency, they're finding love, like that is going to rub off on you and that's how you elevate vibrationally, right? Absolutely. So yeah. it like not only is it just like it all belongs to all of us, but also it's going to benefit you if the people around you are doing better. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so I, I do want to talk a bit about this idea of taking up space mm-hmm. um, and kind of, you know, women staying small and mm-hmm. the process of kind of getting out of that mindset and, yeah. you know, why so many women are afraid to take up space and what that looks like to, to not be afraid of that. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of this, I think, comes back to the idea of 
being seen. Um, and I'll speak just kind of based on myself and my own experience. I think for me, a lot of the fear and what kept me playing small, what kept me kind of like, you know, hiding or, or not stepping fully into myself was the fear that by doing so, that it was in some way going to hurt or create or cause pain for someone else, that, that my power, my space, my greatness, my bigness was somehow going to take away someone else's space or was somehow going to make them feel a certain kind of negative way about themselves and that Mm -hmm. I'd somehow be a, a point of comparison that would create pain for them. Um, and it wasn't until back to this idea of like finding people who show you that the opposite is true. It wasn't until I started surrounding myself by people who were taking up massive amounts of space and were, you know, showing up with their head held high and their shoulders back. And, you know, even in the the way they spoke, like speaking loudly, laughing loudly, not being afraid of being heard or being seen and recognizing that for me, it didn't, it didn't intimidate me. It didn't make me shrink. It didn't make me feel bad about myself, but instead it kind of, it created a new level, a new vibration for me to rise into and for me to kind of flow into and, and, um, an experience. And so it wasn't until that, that I realized like me staying small is doing nobody any favors. And, by, by, you know, being at a 10, I talk a lot about this, the visual, like, you know, looking at zero to 10, zero being, you know, no vibration, low vibration, 10 being at your highest and best self. Um, by staying at a 10, what you're doing is, is creating space for other people to rise into that with you. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas we're a lot quicker, at least for me again, I, I tended, my tendency was to you know, meet someone, they were at a three, I would, I would turn my dial down. I would, I would lower myself, my vibration to meet them where they were at. Um, and I, I, you know, we could spend hours talking about why that was my tendency, but again, that did nothing but keep them where they were, kept that, that kept them at three. It brought me down from 10 to seven. And here we were both at three sitting in, sitting in the, misery sitting in whatever the, you know, whatever the low vibrational energy was. If you're to stay at 10 and, and kind of like, you know, set the boundaries, protect your energy and, and continue to continue to exist in that way. Why not give the person at three, the opportunity to rise up? Maybe it's not all the way to 10, but maybe it's to five and Hey, that's two, that's two points higher. And, 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 um, yeah, two points higher than where they used to be. And so sometimes that visual kind of helps me just check in with myself and say, okay, where am I, where am I at right now? Do I want to stay here? Do I want to lower? Do I want to raise and and why? Um, so yeah, so that's, that's, I think one idea or one way to think about smallness and how, how you're stepping into and out of yourself and, and why and around who you tend to shift, um, your energy. And, and yeah, and so a piece of it's also, I think for a lot of people helping them see whether it's through visualization or meditation, what life would look like if you stepped out of your smallness. I think we get so comfortable and we tend to define ourselves by our circumstance. So when you're living in a, in a way that keeps you small, um, whether or not it feels bad, it's it's your, it's, it's about seeing that it could be different and recognizing how 
how different it actually feels and what it's like to be in a different state. Um, so, so many of the questions that I asked like week one of my program with the women in my inner work circle is what would it look like to stop playing small? What would it look like to start showing up more fully? What would you need to let go of? What would you need to start doing differently? Saying yes to saying no to what shifts mentally would this require? What would you have to start doing tomorrow that would require you to get a little uncomfortable? And, and then I kind of walk them through again, a, a, a visualization of really seeing this version of you moving through life and feeling inspired by that energy, feeling inspired by, you know, the, the opportunities that she's able to attract and the more specific and detailed you can get with that visual of who she is, the more you're going to believe it to be possible and the more willing you're going to be to step out of your smallness, to step out of that comfort and into something bigger and greater, even though you're not quite sure what it's going to be, at least you can start to create, um, create that reality for yourself and to recognize like, if, if I stayed where I was, if I stayed in this smallness, if I stayed in this fear, if I stayed in this space of not really wanting to be seen or speaking up or showing up, what's the consequence to that? If you don't feel a consequence to staying where you're at in your smallness, you're probably not going to do anything differently. But if you start to recognize that there is a consequence to that and, and to then be able to see what it would be like to make a change, that's what we need to feel pulled by. Otherwise, again, like we're creatures of comfort. We'll stick to what we know um, until we start to believe that another way is possible. Yeah, and I think that's probably also helpful just for people to realize in what ways like staying small can show up because I think a lot of people don't even realize that, that they're doing that or that they're afraid to take up space because I feel like that can manifest in like your life choices but also like I mean, the way you dress, the way you speak, like your body yes. language, all of these things. And a lot of people don't even realize all the ways that they, that they might be. Totally. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, you know, for me, that looked a lot like the, it, it did show up a lot in my body language actually. And in the way I dressed actually, <laughs> um, you know, it was a lot of like watching videos of me on stage speaking and noticing how I would either cross my arms or hunch and like cover my chest. Mm -hmm. Um, it was very rare to see footage of myself standing tall, shoulders back, head up, arms down, not fidgeting, you know? Um, so that's one way that I recognize, you know, smallness is definitely keeping me trapped a little bit. Um, and then in the way I was, I was dressing, I actually had a good friend of mine who I would happily give a shout out to Lillian Charles. Um, she's a stylist and she came over one day and she was like, what are the things that you, that you really, really want to wear, but you just don't. And I pulled out these like bright red pants and these really cute, like baby blue heels and this leather jacket. And she was like, why, why, what's keeping you from wearing the things you want to be wearing. And I was like, I don't know. It just feels like it's too much. It feels too loud. It feels too formal for, you know, a work day at the co-working space we're both members of. And she was like, okay, there's work to be done here clearly because this idea of it being too much, this idea of it drawing attention, this idea of being fully seen in this bright, you know, these, these bright colors and these heels and there's fear around this. There's fear around standing tall, right? Like, being noticed. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great point. It's definitely, it shows up in such small ways that are in fact not small at all. And, 
you know, I joke with people now and I'm like, you know, I've, I've gone through so much of my own inner work now that you'll notice it in the way that I make choices at restaurants, right? Like I'm a lot more decisive. I'm a lot more um, truthful when they come back and ask me, how's your food? I'm, I don't feel bad saying, you know, it's actually a little cold. You know, I used to, I used to, (laughs) I used to just want to please and make everyone feel good about themselves and make sure everyone, you know, I felt very responsible for how everybody always felt. And I had to kind of go through some tough lessons in my own life over this past year to recognize I am not responsible for how people feel. Mm -hmm. I am responsible for myself. And that was a hell of a hard lesson for me to learn. But yeah, I mean, it's showing up in so many ways now where I realized, man, there were, there was, there was a lot of smallness happening and, um, yeah, it, the opportunity is always presenting itself to you moment by moment to choose differently, to choose to step out of that smallness. And it could be in a simple choice in a simple choice in, in the way you talk and the way you dress, um, and the things you eat in the way you speak in the way you, you know, pull your shoulders back when you're talking to somebody. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you gave that example because I feel like that is one of the most common ways I see people staying small is by people pleasing and being Mm -hmm. afraid to share their opinion. And, you know, it's funny. I I get told all the time I'm so intimidating and I'm like, (laughs) I just like the fact that you use that word says something about you right but also like it's just because you're uncomfortable with someone who shares their opinion yeah you know and like mm-hmm. i'm not worried about people pleasing like i'm mm-hmm. i'm more interested in pushing the conversation further um yeah. and i think a lot of people you know it's it's easier just to tell everyone things are okay and things are right and things are good and they're doing well and like people pleasing but it's also just so liberating to like speak your mind and like share your opinions and I just think that so many people need to just like step into their power and like be confident that you you are allowed to have your own opinions totally and so you said something really important there that I want to just kind of take note of um and you said that you know it's not that I'm I've chosen to stop instead of people pleasing. What I'm doing is pushing the conversation forward. Mm -hmm. Why that's so important to note is because we tend to live in very black or white ways of being of thinking it's this or that either, or I'm people pleasing and everyone likes me or I'm not people pleasing and everyone hates me. Right. (laughs) So it's not that if you're not people pleasing, then everyone hates you and you're the most disliked person and everyone has all these judgments about you. If you're not people pleasing, what do you want to be doing instead? You get to choose what you fill that space with. And it doesn't have to mean the exact opposite right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to think in very polarized, right? Like I'm nice or I'm mean. I'm pretty or I'm ugly. I'm smart or I'm stupid. I'm successful or I'm a failure. I'm a people pleaser or I'm not a people pleaser or, you know, whatever the opposite of people pleasing is, or I'm a, you know, a complete jerk. Um, what's the middle ground? Why, like, wh- why are we forgetting that there are so many other ways to be in between the the, you know, that the two ends of the spectrum. And so I love that you are able to say, you know, it's not that I'm not a people pleaser. It's just that I I choose, I choose to be different. I choose to show up differently. I choose to push the conversation forward instead of people pleasing. And that doesn't mean I'm, I'm, it doesn't mean anything about me. It doesn't have to mean that I'm mean. It doesn't have to mean that I walk on people. It doesn't mean that I don't care about how people feel. It just means that I see an opportunity 
to, to further the conversation. And that's, that's it. Um, so to create that possibility for yourself and to say, okay, well, what do I want it to mean instead? How do I want to show up instead? Um, and imagine it, watch yourself in your mind's eye, visualize, go through meditation and, and be in a situation where you tend to people please and experience another way of being in that situation, feel what it's like. And, and that's where, again, you'll start to recognize like, no, it it is possible to be different. It is possible to choose something else. It is possible to no longer live in this pattern and fall into this tendency. And this is what it looks like instead. And, and again, the opportunity will continue to present itself. You'll continue to be tested until you decide that you no longer want to show up in the way that you've been because it hasn't been the most truthful way for you. Yes. I'm so glad you brought up the black and white thinking because I think that is just so common for so many people, like just not realizing how often we do that. You know, it's one extreme yeah. or the other. And there's so much room in the middle. And that's like the uncomfortable space, but that's also like the unknown, that's where, that's where we create and grow and expand, like in the middle, right? Like in that unknown space. So I just love that you bring that up. And one thing I, I'm curious about is, you know, doing this work, being a coach in this space, um, do you ever feel pressure to like, you know, with your mindset, always like have an opportunity outlook or like, you know, like, like just pressure to never, um, kind of fall Struggle. into some of these tra- traps. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes and no. I mean, there are definitely, there's definitely, I noticed the frustration in me where I'm like, nah, like I, I know better, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. better Talia, you know, better than to victimize yourself, you know, better than to just try to solve the problem, you know? Um, so yes, but I, I feel like I'm at a point now where I'm able to observe my tendencies mm-hmm. and, and, hopefully catch it before I let it kind of get the best of me. Um, but you know, I, I tell everyone, I'm like, I do this work just by, just because I'm a coach and I do healing work with people. It it by no means is an indication that I've completely healed my own work or that I figured it all out. Like Mm -hmm. if anything, I'm still figuring it out and I would love to teach you what I'm learning along the way. Um, I'm very open with my struggles, with my challenges. I, I, disclose a lot with my clients if and when appropriate. Um, I mean, I I think it's important for us to recognize like no one's got it all figured out. I'm also human. I'm also learning. I'm also, you know, there are days where I feel like I've taken 10 steps back and that's also okay. It's what you, it's what you, it's the story you attach to it, right? Mm -hmm. Taking it full circle. Like what does it mean about me? Does it have to mean that about me? Could it mean something else? Could it mean nothing? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely pressure. I think it comes more so from people in my life, to be honest. I, I get a lot of like, you studied positive psychology. Shouldn't you know how to feel better? You know, and um, that it, it is frustrating to hear that because there's this assumption that because I studied it and know it, that I should be some kind of superhuman who never feels sad. You know, <laughs> it's like, no. And I welcome sadness because it shows me that I can feel, which tells me that I'm human and, um, and that's okay. So yeah, there are definitely points where it's like, come on, Talia, you know, you know better, but it's also, I'm experiencing this in a way that will also help other people who are going through this learn. Yeah. I think that's the point. It's like, if you didn't deal with it yourself, then you wouldn't be able to teach other people. (laughs) 
<laughs> you totally. know, how to use the tools. So I yeah. think that's, that's amazing. And I appreciate you sharing all of that. And thank you so much for all these tips. I think a lot of people will have a lot of mindset work that we'll leave this conversation <laughs> with. That's going to be super helpful. And I know you have an amazing podcast, Sincerely Me. Can you just tell everyone where they can find more from you? Absolutely. Yes. So thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Christina. I loved all your questions. And, and I mean, I think you and I could keep talking for hours. Um, yeah. So more from me, my, I'm like most active on Instagram at Talia Delju and my podcast, yes, is called Sincerely Me. And it's all about helping you cultivate a deep relationship to yourself, a lot of self-discovery and inner work talk. Um, and you can find that on, on most platforms where podcasts are streamed, Spotify, iTunes, all that. Um, and my main kind of offering and program in my coaching business is the inner work circle, as I mentioned earlier, which is this year long program, um, weekly coaching lessons, monthly group calls, and two in-person retreats throughout the year where we are understanding, uncovering, untangling your patterns, your tendencies, your ways of being small in the world and really helping you step into more of a place of ownership of inner peace of, um, of just knowing that you're right where you need to be. And again, every week comes with different practices, exercises, rituals, reflection questions, journaling prompts. Um, so it's a big commitment to make to yourself, but it's, it's for those who are really willing to do the inner work and to become their own best friend. Um, other things. Yeah. And really it's just kind of events. I speak around Atlanta. Um, I run retreats in collaboration with some other awesome women, um, all around the country. So Instagram is probably the best way to stay up to date with what's going on. Perfect. I will put all of that information in the show notes so everyone can connect with you. And thank you again so much. I loved chatting with you. you as well, Christina. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Talia, for coming on the show and having such an amazing conversation. So much valuable content in there. And if you want to connect more with Talia, just go ahead and go to her website, taliadelju.com. And you can find her on Instagram at taliadelju, and those will be in the show notes as well. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you share it with someone you think would also like it. And if you share it on social media, make sure to tag me and tag Talia and tag Wellness Wellness Podcast so that I can say thank you. I always appreciate it so much when you guys share the podcast on social media. And if you're not already in our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe, I would love to have you there. Just go ahead and search Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe on Facebook, request to join, and I will add you in. And as always, if you have not already left a rating and review on iTunes and you want to take a minute to share your support for the show, I would so appreciate it. If you did so, it really helps me spread the word about the podcast and allows me to continue to grow our community. That's it for today's episode. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day and I will chat with you again next time. Bye.